I left a campus at Pleasant Hill on their knees crying out to God, lifting hands and praising Him. And truly, I was like, oh, I don't want to leave. The Holy Spirit's at work, only to walk into Ankeny and see the same thing, and I am just praising the Lord. What an amazing God we serve. Christy and I were about 23 years old, and if we're being honest, we weren't living the life. We didn't have time for God. We were, we were worrying about our own things, starting careers, doing whatever we had to do. God was third, fourth, fifth, somewhere else, uh, but he wasn't in our lives. But Easter was coming, and, you know, we had grown up in church, so we knew, well, Easter's coming, we need to go to church. Why? Because that's what good Christians do, right? I mean, so, so we, we, we decided on Easter Sunday, we got dressed, put some nicer clothes on, and we knew there was a church a couple miles down the street, so we got in the car, headed that church, walked in the door like we own the place, because you want to look like a guest, you know what I mean? So you, you walk in, but it's awkward, you know, and, and you go and you find, a, you find a seat about three quarters of the way back. I mean, come on, you don't really want to be the guest, you know, so you know, you're, you're going to go where most folks are, and you sit down, you try to mind your own business and enjoy this respectable thing that's about to happen and suddenly the lights come on the music is blaring people are jumping to their feet hands are raised in the air they're dancing they're running around the floor they're speaking in tongues and we're like what in the world just happened to us and really the only thing that was absolutely clear at that moment was that the two people sitting about three quarters of the way back were guests you know what I mean at that point, that's about the only thing that's clear. And we're like, oh boy, what in the world did we just land ourselves into? You know, there's a story we're going to look at today that's going to challenge us a little bit as well as to what we think, especially about how do kings behave, how do they act, and what does that mean about our worship? And the king we're going to look at today, his name's King David. And many of you probably know King David if you've been in church for some time, but maybe he's new to you. And, and King David was a, a king in ancient Israel from which Jesus, the lineage, Jesus would come from. The passage we're going to look at today is in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, we're going to be hanging out in there. Uh, if you want to look it up on your uh, electronic device, I think that's great too. We're also going to put the verses up on the screen. So follow along whatever way you're most comfortable. Just really glad that you're here today. But we come to an unusual verse in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that I love. And it said, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Now, there's some confusion as to what a linen ephod might be. There's different scholars, and sometimes it's a word used for various pieces of clothing. But for most scholars, our best guess is that this linen ephod is like a white linen sheet that you wrap around your midsection and you wear it kind of like underwear in that sense. So if you can imagine, here's the king of Israel dancing around really kind of just in his tidy whities for the most part. Now I asked Pastor Ben to demonstrate that today and he wouldn't do it. And, 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 and I realized the Lord's still working on him and uh, you know <laughs> on that. But, but uh, you know, and I'm sorry now if you have that image in your mind. Uh, it's probably bad. <laughs> so, but you can see how crazy this is. You've got the king of Israel dancing around in the street with people, basically in his underwear at that point. And what does it say? So he's dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. So right away we get this, this image. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I think of a king, that's not what I think of. 
When I think of a king, that's usually a dignified person. You know, they're, they're normally stately people. They have a stern look on their face, and they, they certainly never let their emotions or anything show. They're always just, they just always seem to kind of have it together. But here I've got the king of Israel dancing out in the street with commoners, basically in his underwear. What do we do with this? Well, it's probably good to note, and it's pretty common, that not everybody thought that was awesome. And so we get to the next verse in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. It says, And as the ark was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, what does it say? She despised him in her heart. Wow. She despised him for dancing like that in front of everybody. Now what's going on? There's a lot to this story, and obviously we're not going to have time in just our short period today to cover it all. So I encourage you to go back this week and read through 2 Samuel chapter 6 in your quiet time in your Bible study this week. But I'm going to hit on some of the highlights. First off, it says uh, Michal, or Michal is the daughter of Saul. What's also interesting here is she is also David's wife. But the author seems to want to go out of his way to associate her with Saul and not David on this. We're going to see that again here in a little bit. That's not always a good thing uh, when you've got an author doing that. So, but, but it calls the daughter Saul. And, and immediately, of course, that means we need to go back and look at the life of Saul. Well, who was Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel, but Saul was rejected by God and gave his blessings to David later on. Why was Saul rejected? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but for our time here today, let's just say it's because Saul didn't take God seriously. He didn't obey God at times, he didn't worship God with all his heart, and he didn't lead well as a result. He didn't take worship seriously. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, there's a couple ways right away. The first one is the scriptures tell us that he would end up killing all but one of the priests of the tabernacle. That's a pretty good clue you're not taking God seriously when you kill all the priests of the tabernacle. You know what I mean? The second one we look at is a retelling of this story in another book of the Bible called First Chronicles in chapter 13.3. David says this. He says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Why? For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Saul did not take God seriously. And so now we're in a time where they're having to try to restore some of that back. And say, so what, what did Saul do? What, what exactly upset God? Well, Saul decided to live by his opinions rather than God's will. Saul decided when it came to worship of God... He'll adopt some things, but he's going to ignore the others. He's going to decide what's in and what's out. In truth, Saul's still playing God. And I wonder how many of us are still trying to play God in our worship as well. I'll decide where the boundaries are. We'll go this far, but not this far. We'll include these things, but not these things. And, and God didn't like it. Saul's attitude was, my will, my way. And he put his preferences and his desires above his unadulterated worship of God. And I do wonder how often we do that sometimes. How often do we put our desires, our preferences, above what God wants in our worship? During the reign of Saul, worship had just been reduced down to maybe an occasional prayer, and, and, and maybe they'll slip God in a little bit, and it ultimately became a form of idolatry. But Saul took worship for granted. 
And the problem is this. Saul was the leader of Israel. And what we know about leadership is this. As the leader does, so do the followers. They will only be led to where the leadership goes. And what we'll find out is since, or since Saul did not take worship seriously, Israel stopped taking worship seriously. And this happens in all aspects of life. In the church as well, if the church leadership doesn't take worship seriously, we have no right to expect that you would. But here's where it gets even harder. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, if you don't take worship seriously, you have no reason to expect your children to. As the leader does, so do the followers. So I tell the leadership team all the time, you cannot expect our church to go anywhere we have not bravely gone ourselves. And the reason that's important is what we can miss in this story is that reduction of worship or that taking it for granted even slipped into David. And it can be hard to miss, but it's in there. And so I want to continue. Let's back up a few verses in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let's just read this story for a minute, and then we'll break it down. Chapter 6, verse 3, it says, They set the ark of God on a new cart. That's going to be important. And brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah, the son of Ahil, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. As we get to the next slide and continue the story, it says, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark of God. Why? Because the oxen had stumbled. So, at some point, maybe they hit a rock or whatever it is, the oxen get, get out of pace. Something happens and the cart kind of begins to stumble and maybe it looks like for a minute the ark's going to fall off the cart. So what happens though? The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore God struck him down and he died right there beside the ark of God. What in the world is going on? And I got to tell you, what we're about to learn is incredibly important, but it's subtle, and you can miss it. And I need you to get this. See, while they're, they're going, they're, they're doing all the right things. They're, they're dancing, they're singing, they're playing instruments. They're going through the actions, and yet God does this thing. And at first, our reaction might be, but wait a minute, I mean, they're going along, and, and the ark's maybe going to fall off this cart. This guy's just doing God a favor. He's just, he's helping God out. I mean, he's, he's steadying the ark, you know, so it doesn't fall off. We wouldn't want anything disrespectful like that to happen. I mean, he's helping God out. And this gets us to our first principle, if you're taking notes today, and this one's going to hit you like a lead brick. But you have to know this. God doesn't need your help. Did you catch that? In our arrogance, we think he does. God doesn't need 
your help. He doesn't need your help protecting the Ark of the Covenant. And he does not need your help in worship. God is God, and we are not. The second principle is this. God takes worship seriously. And we see that from this story. God takes worship seriously. What are some things we learn from this story that show that maybe they didn't take God very seriously? First one's this. They put the ark on a cart when the instructions in Exodus were very clear. Priests carry the ark by poles. But they just threw it on a cart. We say, well, it's just a little detail. It's a big one for God. And obedience is a big deal to God. The second one is when that man grabbed the ark. When only priests are allowed to touch it. Again, God takes worship seriously. David began to figure that out because notice what the next verse says in 2 Samuel 6, 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day. You know what that implies? It means he was not afraid of him the day before. Let me ask you, do you have a healthy fear of God? One of awe and reverence and respect for his power? Now we talk about in Scripture, we say, well, you know, Jesus is my friend. He he is, but do not mistake that he is Lord God Almighty as well. Do we take God seriously? David was humbled because of this event. He realized he didn't have a healthy fear of God. He realized suddenly that, that God's power is real. He even asked the question, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? That's probably what I'd be saying too if it just zapped somebody dead. I'd be like, don't bring that to my house. You know what I mean? (laughs) David now had a change of perspective. He now had a healthy fear of God. And after this, David decided he'd wait three months before he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. And during that time, it doesn't say, but I'm guessing they made some preparations. And remember we talked about last week how that first step of worship when you approach the tabernacle is to prepare, to consecrate yourself, to be ready. I'm guessing at that point they opened up some ancient scrolls and did a little bit of reading as well. Because after that, they decided to march the ark in with its poles and priests holding it, wearing the correct garb, taking the proper steps, sacrificing as they were supposed to be sacrificing, it's coming in. And it's in this newfound respect, fear of God with honor and taking it seriously that now we pick the story up with that verse that we first read when we started today. Now David, with all abandonment, with absolute passion for God, not caring what other people think, keeping his eyes on him, goes down to his ephod and starts dancing before the Lord, singing and crying out before him in absolute freedom. And when he did that, everybody in Jerusalem's like, that's awesome, I love what you're doing, man, good job. Only that would be a lie. What's David's response? His wife's response at that point? 
In verse 20, Michal, again, daughter of Saul. This writer's really going out of his way to make sure he separates her from David. Yeah, she's with Saul uh, <laughs> at this point. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And what does she say? Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. That's sarcasm. Trust me, I know sarcasm, okay? That's sarcasm. She's not thanking him. That's not a compliment. Her heart is not in the right place and she doesn't have joy she she sees this abandonment from David and this freedom he's living in and she's repulsed by it have you ever been repulsed by someone worshiping with abandonment and freedom because you have opinions and you have preferences I love David's response because she wasn't very nice she called him vulgar by the way that's really not a compliment but I love David's response. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. What does he say? I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. In your worship, in your praise of God, can you become even more undignified than this? Or if we're being honest, you care more about what the people around you think. Ouch, yeah, I know. Can you become even more undignified than this? And so as we bring this to a close today, there's five questions I want you to wrestle with. And if you have your worship guide, I want you to take it out and I want you to fill these in. Why? Because I'm not going to fully answer them today. I want you to wrestle with them throughout the week. I want you to go into your private study this week and I want you to prayerfully ask God to reveal your heart in each one of these questions. The first one is this. Do you take God seriously? Or maybe have you fallen in the trap of Israel and Saul? I mean, when it comes to worship, are you just going through the motions today? Maybe just checking this off your list? Sorry, I'm going to be tough. I mean, you sitting there thinking about what's for lunch? Do you take God seriously? Number two, are you a distraction? Now, I'm not talking about worshiping in freedom here. What a distraction is, what I'm talking about here, is someone who feels like God needs their help with worship. I'm going to help this environment be more holy. I'm going to help the Holy Spirit in this thing. Because, you know, that's what God was waiting on, was you to show up, right? And in trying to enhance the atmosphere and make this even better, really what you end up being is a distraction and noise. Because you cannot manufacture worship. God will reveal himself where he wants to reveal himself. The Bible says, I will have mercy upon whom I choose to have mercy. God doesn't need your help with worship. Are you a distraction? 
third one. Do you scrutinize others? Especially those who don't worship like you. Or worse yet, those who make you uncomfortable. Check your heart. Where does that grumpiness come from? Is it from God? Or somewhere else? You don't honestly believe you've got the entirety of worship figured out, do you? Can we all just agree that the body of Christ is bigger than anything we could ever imagine? And God can choose to manifest himself and his power any way he chooses. Why? How many times do I have to say this? God is God and you are not. Do you scrutinize others? Do you have a critical spirit? Because I'll tell you this, it's a character flaw if you do. And you need to work on it. Number four, when it comes to worship, who has your attention? Do you care more about what God thinks or what the person sitting around you thinks? I get it. You're like, Pastor Jason, you are stomping on my toes. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what they pay me for. Uh, Who are you more interested in? Honoring God or yielding to your insecurities? Which one is it? Who is it you're trying to please? Who is it you're worshiping? Be clear, on Judgment Day, when the books are open, the people sitting around you ain't going to be on the other side. It's just God. We should be really, really clear about what God thinks and focused on Him. And so I'll ask it one more time. Would you become even more undignified than this? Who has your attention in worship? God or people? And the last one is this. Is your worship empowering? What do I mean by this? Let me ask an even tougher question for you. What would you do if you found out your lack of stepping into something or your failure to engage worship was affecting the people around you and their ability to step into worship. What if in your failure to step into worship, someone else chose not to step into worship? Many years ago, I used to be a worship pastor. One night, I chose to grab a bunch of people on my worship team and go to a a worship event, concert, uh, a famous, well-known worship band, and you know, just wanted that night to be poured into as a team rather than us playing and worrying about all the other stuff we have to worry about with worship. So we went. You know, we all sat in a row and pretty close up front. And as the worship started, you know, everybody got to their feet. So we got to our feet. And uh, as I looked down the entire row, we're kind of... It's like this. Straight on down the row. It's about two or three songs in, and I'm praying, and, and it's one of those times I hear very clearly from the Lord, the Holy Spirit says, raise your hands. Now, something you need to know. At this point in my life, I thought raising hands was stupid. I did. Certainly not something a dignified person did. 
wasn't something we did growing up. And so the Lord's sitting there going, Jason, I want you to raise your hands. And I'm like, no. You know? And so now I'm having an argument with God. And you know how this one goes every single time. You know? All right, now I'm arguing with God. and This isn't going to work out. I should know that. But I have good days and bad. Don't judge me. All right? I said, all right, Lord. I'll raise my hands. So I did. That's about all you're going to get right now. But I'm doing it. Come on, I'm half in. <laughs> Lord, like very clearly, say, like, uh-uh, higher. <laughs> like, no, no, I don't want to do, no, come on. I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> higher. <laughs> fine. And I'm doing this. And, and I'm like, Lord, okay, at least biblically I can make an argument for this one. Because guess what? This is how they prayed in the first century. It's not like this. They prayed like this in the first century, by the way. And it, the whole thing was like, like, Lord, fill my cup. So if you're wondering one of the reasons why we raise hands, that's why I Lord, fill my cup. Uh, but, but I'm doing this. But even then the Lord's like, nope, Jason, I want your worship to go all the way. I want you all in. I want you to surrender your opinions. I want you to surrender your ideas. I want all of you. Like fine, uh, <laughs> hands up, man, and I'm singing now as loud as I can, and I'm dancing, and I'm sorry for the image, and I, I get it, but I'm just worshiping. I'm like, Lord, praise you, I love you, I love you. It's like two or three songs go, I didn't pay attention to what's going around me, but finally, I kind of look down the aisle, and you know what I see? The entire worship team, hands in the air, one's on his knees, one's crying out to the Lord, and they're just worshiping with all abandonment, and I'm like, praise the Lord. On the ride home, we're in a large van. I didn't want to make too big a deal of it, so you know, I kind of brought it up. I'm like, hey, it's kind of nice seeing everybody worshiping like that, man. It's really awesome. And then I do what every pastor does. You know, it's a pastor move here. Uh, sure be cool to see that on Sunday. <laughs> you know, see, I slept that in. <laughs> totally sly. Uh, on that. Yeah, it'd be great to see that on Sunday, you know, and and one of my worship singers, she looks right at me with just a serious and gentle look on her face. She said, Pastor, we were just waiting on you. Ouch. We're just waiting on you. What would you do if you found out your failure to be even more undignified than this was keeping somebody else from fully stepping into worship. Who were you trying to please? God? You? Or the people around you? So I want you to hear it from me as the pastor of the church. I want you to worship with all abandonment. I want it to be a sweet aroma of praise lifted up to the Lord. I don't want you to care about what your neighbors think. I don't want you to care about how badly you sing because I'm singing just as badly as you. I want you to just worship. Why? Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. May we be a church that worships in freedom.